Welcome back into The Mental Game. I'm your host, Brandon Seho, and this week's guest is author Tara Schuster. And in this episode, Tara opens up about her lifelong mental health journey, what it was like to get laid off from Comedy Central, but then how she found her new endeavor of writing books and how that's helped her get through some of life's toughest moments. All of that and much, much more coming up in this episode of The Mental Game. But before we get started, let's kick things off with this week's Mental Health Tip of the Week, and it is all about positive relationships. Creating and maintaining positive relationships with others is essential to creating a support system for yourself. However, sometimes it can be difficult doing this. A great way to maintain the relationships you have is to check up with friends and family. You can grab a coffee with them, give them a call, shoot them a text, or just anything to show that you value them in your life. It is also important for you to value yourself and know your worth and let go of relationships that are negative and hold on tight to the positive ones. Everyone deserves a positive support system. And if you or someone you know needs help finding a therapist or any mental health resources, go ahead and scan the QR code in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen. It'll take you directly to One in Five's homepage where their mission is to prevent suicide by stopping the stigma and starting the conversation. Now it is time for an amazing conversation with Tara Schuster. Welcome back into the mental game. And I have another very special guest, Tara Schuster. She was a former VP at Comedy Central, a mental health advocate, and also the author of two books, a new one coming out shortly, Glow in the Effing Dark. That comes out later this month. Tara, thank you so much for joining me on the mental game. Thank you for having me. First thing I ask everyone, and everyone has different answers, what does mental health mean to you? Have you been able to use it as a tool in your life? Just take me through when you discovered it, how you're able to work that into your daily life. Yeah, I'm going to just jump right in here. Um, Please. <laughs> you know, I grew, up, <laughs> I grew up in a neglectful, psychologically abusive house where things came to die, like the pets, the plants, the flowers mm -hmm. that came free with purchase. You know, it was chaos. Um, and what it led to was me believing that I was worthless. So fundamentally, that's what I left my childhood thinking. Mm -hmm. And it had serious repercussions. I ended up with very severe anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, you know, just that fun trio. Um, and for me, there was a point in my life, like around when I was 25, where as I walked through the world, all I could think about in my head was you are worthless. You, nobody loves you. You're ugly. You've, you've made so many mistakes that your life can't possibly be good. It was like I, misery. I, I cannot describe how miserable I was. And it wasn't until I decided like I need to do something and started trying little rituals one by one that I kind of dug myself out of that place. And so now for me, mental health um, is really baseline understanding what is even happening inside of you, like some self-awareness and perspective mm -hmm. and an ability to emotionally regulate. Because I was just in a slingshot, like happy, yeah. totally depressed. Like I, I couldn't, I, I could not regulate anything. And so I, I think that's one of the biggest tools for mental health. Writing that had to be something that just turned your world from rock bottom to being able to give yourself your own sense of therapy, I would think, right? You know, it's interesting. No one's ever asked me this question. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm, you know, I'm here for it, that. Here we go. I love it. Um, so, 
Yes. So two things. One, it was incredibly difficult to write both books. And I'm not, not in the like, woe is me. I'm not a coal miner. It wasn't difficult that way. Mm -hmm. But in my book, I, um, I try to show the scenes. Like I try to really pull you into where I was and paint a picture. But what that means is every time I do that, I am reliving a trauma. Right. And so it, it it's a very difficult way to write. Um, and, you know, the saying goes, write what you know, but the saying does not go, write the complex trauma, you know, you know, like different. So, so on the one hand, very difficult um, and exhausting. On the other hand, it's like I, you know, with uh, my first book, By Yourself, The Fucking Lilies, the moment it was out in the world, I felt like that's not me. Like it's released. Yeah. It's all gone. I worked through it. And now hopefully these things will have meaning, like they'll benefit someone else. Mm -hmm. And I feel that way about glow too, that it's, um, the, the therapeutic part is that you release it. Like it's yeah. gone. It's not mine anymore. It's almost like, you know, I've worked with some musicians on this podcast and when they put out music, that's the therapy for them is making the music, but then also performing it, getting it out there. That's kind of the same with the book. Let's go back to when you started writing Google document on your, on your laptop, <laughs> it started yeah. with a, a rock bottom night and I'm gonna let you tell that story, yeah. but it's something yeah. relatable to me being in the same type of industry in TV entertainment. You're hustling, you're trying to get your first start. You're trying to get paid more than just working for free as an intern. And everyone <laughs> sees you being happy, smiling at work or for me on, on TV, but you're having those yeah. dark nights of, for me, drinking was a big vice. Uh, and I dealt with depression since I was 14 and suicidal thoughts. When did rock bottom hit and how tough was it for you to finally do something about it? We have so much in common, like yeah. it's uncanny. You know, for me, I had uh, had to deal with depression since a very early age, since since I can remember, essentially, mm -hmm. and it had pretty deep depressive episodes, but I didn't know what that language, I had no idea that's what it was. You know, I was right. 16 and my mom was in the hospital and I could not get my body out of bed. And I had no clue that that was depression. I just thought my body's being weird right now. like. So right. there was a lot leading up to it. Um, but on my 25th birthday, you know, after this lifetime of neglect, abuse, not being seen, like now, as I look back, one of the big problems was I wasn't allowed to have opinions or ideas. And anytime I became emotional, I was just told, don't cry. I can't handle you when you cry by my dad. So I, I was like this shut down, not person who had always used external achievement as a way to find my self-worth because those were the adults, you know, those were the adults. And, and if comedy central was going to like deem me somebody worthy of being there, then I made it. And I'm not a weirdo, like, look at me now, you know? And so on my 25th birthday, I, I was at comedy central. I was uh, climbing the corporate ladder really quickly. Nobody knew anything was wrong with me, even though I was, sobbing in the personal cry room and one night i drunk dialed my therapist and threatened to kill myself and the next morning listening to her voicemails of how worried she was how much she was trying to find me i scared myself mm -hmm. i was like 
oh no, this is actually dangerous. This isn't, because I always thought I shouldn't feel as bad as I did. I didn't have the worst childhood ever. Now, other people have the worst childhoods ever. I didn't, so I shouldn't deal with it. Wrong. Like, yeah, we're all entitled to our own suffering. Um, but it was that morning where I really thought, if I don't save my life, I'm not going to have much more of a life to live. And it was like, things need to change. And, and that's when I didn't have parents to talk to. I didn't have wise mentors to help me on my journey. I had my budget therapist, you know, mm -hmm. who I was like scrambling to find one at that point. Um, so I decided, okay, I'm a really good student. I'm really good at work. Let me approach this like a task. And so I opened up a Google Doc, you know, which what I had been using um, and just put all the questions I had in it. Like, what are values? What are principles? What are vegetables? Like, genuinely, what are they? Which one should I be eating? You know, all these questions. And then I sought out the answers like my life depended on it because it did. Um, and I, I'd watch how my uh, friends' parents would interact with them. And, you know, from a distance, oh, nobody's screaming at this dinner. Nobody walked out. Nobody, you know, these people seem to be enjoying themselves. I took tips from memoirs because I didn't even read self-help. Like, it did not yeah. even occur to me that the self-help genre might benefit me at that time. So... I, I had this education that lasted five years, the Google document I called a, curricul a curriculum of reparenting myself mm -hmm. um, slash self-care. Five years later, I have a 600 page Google doc, felt like a completely different person. And, and it had never been my intention to write books about mental health. But at that point I realized I have an offering I cannot be the only person that feels this way. That would be impossible. Right. And I've done so much work and I documented it. Like I've got the document, you know? So that was sort of what set me off on, on writing all of this. And I think it's amazing what you're doing, taking your own life experiences, some highs, some lows, working through your own struggles of depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. That's exactly what I'm trying to do with this podcast. I remember sitting in my therapist's office after COVID got done and she's like, well, what do you want to do now? What do you want to do? Do you want to keep being a sports reporter? And I said, no, I don't. I think I'm going to start a mental <laughs> right. health podcast and try to use the connections I have in sports, music, entertainment to help other people. And it was just an idea. Next thing I know, six months later, I quit my job and started it. So I really admire your mission because I think we have shared missions, some shared experiences, yeah. but the whole goal here is to relate to people. And for me, I want to give people an option or an availability to relate to you and your story. Take me through your childhood and how you grew up. And the th you talked about screaming at dinner or, or maybe your family not supporting you being emotionally vulnerable. There's a million people right. that deal with that. And now we're getting yeah. to a point where we can talk about it and talking about it helps other people that have dealt with the same things. So I'm just curious right. if you can peel back that curtain of what your childhood was like trying to balance those feelings you had emotionally with the household yeah. you grew up in. Yeah. You know, and I want to start by saying, I think people get uh, weirded out when they talk about their parents because they don't want to blame mm -hmm. their parents. Right. And so I say this all with no blame towards my parents and I've made um, amends in fact, and have a much better relationship with my dad. The thing is you have to talk about these things. 
you, you don't need to do it. And I blame my parents for my whole life, but it is your responsibility now. You don't have to blame them, but it's your responsibility. And so how I grew up, um, I, I'm thinking of some of, I was exposed to things no child should ever be exposed to. You know, I remember my first time going to Manhattan and I'm in a limo with my mom. I'm five years old and I'm like, oh my God, a limo. I, right. I am at the height of class and elegance. I must be very rich. I have right. on this um, faux fur black coat and I'm like, hello, New York. Like, this is going to be amazing. Living it, like, baby. rolling up. Like living it, right? And it's like one of the best moments of my life. And my mom says, come sit next to me. I never liked to sit next to her. I always felt a weirdness, like I wanted to flee, but I sat next to her. And she pulled out um, a little plastic baggie with all these cards. And she started going through the cards and she said, these are the prostitutes your dad is sleeping with. He doesn't love you. He doesn't love me. I'm five and I'm like, wow. I know daddy loves me. Like I know, but I, I know daddy loves me. No. And she says, oh really? Because he wanted to abort you. You're the only reason I'm the only reason you're alive. And I, you know, I didn't know, I couldn't know exactly what abortion meant. Right. right. But it, but it, the context, I did understand that one of my parents just fundamentally didn't want me. And yeah, sure, you can go on with the rest of your life with that one incident in the background. But what I what I've come to understand is no, you really can't. You know, that time does not heal all wounds. It just gives them wrinkles. Yeah. That thing is just playing in the back of your mind, leading to, you know, so many feelings of unworthiness. And until you bring it to the light and heal it, which you can, like I used to think. I can't heal myself because these things happen so early. False. So false. Now I know better. But yeah. that was the kind of house I grew up in where I was exposed to things. It was a, the house was an open construction site. So I always just felt scared for my physical safety. Mm -hmm. You know, when I said I walked out of my childhood feeling unworthy, I'd say the other thing was I walked out feeling unsafe. I, I, to the extent that, you know, it was in my body then and forever. Like I didn't even realize, oh, it's not normal to be 10 out of 10 unsafe, feeling like you've got to watch your back hypervigilant until much later. I'll ask this. Did you struggle with like seeing friends that had normal family life at home or things that, you know, you didn't have? Because I, I, me, you know, I struggle with the feeling of being alone. My best friend, his wife met in high school. They've been together ever since. I love them so much. But for me, for years and years, it struggled because I felt alone and I didn't have that person. So comparing right. and contrasting my life to theirs, did you struggle with that seeing friends and others have this normal set of parents? Normal is a, a overrated word. Right. I'd, rather be, I'd rather be weird than normal if we're going to be completely right. honest about everything. But seeing yeah. the, that type of household with the not saying your parents didn't love you but the loving caring um household of supportive parents that you see in a movie or you see in commercials did okay. you struggle with seeing that and you not having that at home oh big time i mean at, at, at the start no because i didn't know that things could be any different right but i remember 
just in about high school, one of the clearest memories I have is I'm on the black asphalt of the parking lot. There's a big yellow bus about to take us on a, a field trip. And I see another dad hug his daughter. And I'm like, oh my God, parents hug their children. Wow. All of the sudden, all this grief of like, and right now I can feel grief coming up for me of, oh, nobody has touched me. Nobody has reassured me. I, I don't know what it is like to just be embraced by your dad before you go on your field trip. And so when I'd see things like that, yeah, for sure. I'd say it's mostly grief that I feel. Yeah. And if I'm perfectly honest, because why wouldn't I be? Um, at this point, written two books about it, like a lot of yeah. this is out there. But, you know, today where I find myself getting stuck is when friends or acquaintances um, take for granted the family they do have, mm -hmm. you know, and they are complaining about some issue where I'm like, your issue is valid, but do you understand you have a support network and a whole family? And I'm like alone and have never had that. Yeah. And that's something I'm not like so proud to have that feeling, but it's real. It's yeah. really real. How did you break away from that point and those feelings throughout, I'm assuming your childhood, high school, you talked about, I think loving school and being a good student and that I'm sure had to play a impactful role of you getting to the entertainment world and working in Comedy Central and, and building your resume up and climbing the corporate ladder there at Comedy Central. But walk me through that walk away point or breakaway point of, you know, you said you still dealt with the, the depression and suicidal ideation, or ideation and, and thoughts, but how were you able to just take that step forward from feeling lost and, and alone and not, not loved or appreciated or that self-worth yeah. to getting to, I mean, Comedy Central is not, not, you know, dog anyone that works at McDonald's, but it's not McDonald's. It's not working at a shoe right. store. It is a real yeah. life corporate job in entertainment. Walk me through breaking away from that point in your life to starting to be a professional and really move up the ladder. Yeah, I, you know, I really, the whole time I was at Comedy Central, which was an awesome job, I was not very self-aware. You know, I, I was learning, I was reparenting myself, but I basically mm -hmm. just hustled my way through it. Yeah. And it, the real like deep growth didn't actually um, occur until I was laid off. Okay. So I was laid off from Comedy Central in 2020, right at the beginning of the pandemic. And it led to like a full crisis because for so long, my identity had been Comedy Central. You know, if this is how people introduced me, Tara Schuster, Comedy Central, like it was my married last right. name. I had worked there for a third of my life. My colleagues were my family and all of a sudden it was taken away. And I had, I, I, I did not know who I was if I was not being defined by somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so I asked myself, you know, who am I actually without this job? Who am I? Yeah. And that became what I wanted to, to learn more about. And so, you know, I, I had that question, but when I am faced with a problem, the way I deal with it is hustle, go, keep on achieving woman. You can't stop pressure, pressure, pressure. Yeah. So I decided at that moment, so I had nothing to do. I'm 
like I don't have a partner, my family doesn't live here. Now yeah. all of a sudden my deepest traumas are all being activated. I'm going nuts. So right. on a whim, I just Googled, how can I help in the election? Just like, I was like, please give me meaning. Like, what can yeah. I do? And like the second or third search result was you can register voters in Arizona. And just like that, I packed up my Prius of doom and just moved. It was like, goodbye, I'm going, I am gonna hustle my way through this yet again. And while doing that on the highway, I had what I can only describe as the love child of a panic attack and a dissociative episode, you know, which if you've been through a dissociative episode, they're horrible, you know, like I could see my hands on the steering wheel, you know, I could see my shoddy manicure and all my rings, but they didn't feel like my hands. They were, they were floating in the air and I found myself going faster and faster down the highway. And I was like, oh my God, this is so unsafe. And so I pulled over. And that was the first time in my life that I pulled over, that that I realized I just, I can't keep coming. And I, I can't keep going this way. And as I looked up, it was nighttime. And in the desert, there's no light pollution. So when I looked up, it was just a freaking star field, you know, just like this absolutely yeah. beautiful thing. I'm like 10 out of 10 miserable look up and I'm like, whoa, there's something really beautiful Sweet. here. Yeah. Yeah. This is cool. And I wondered, you know, can I, can I glow like that even when it's really dark? Because as, as we know, the things that make the things that make up us, the carbon in our muscles, the iron in our blood, are actually 100% scientifically from stars. Like, mm-hmm. it's not a cute thing to write on a mug. It's just true. And I started to think, you know, well, stars are pretty much agreed to be awesome, right? Yeah. None of us are like, these stars have moral failings and they're bad and they're not enough. We're all like, they're really good. And oh my God, I have something really good in me. Like, it is within me. And now what I want to do is figure out, can I glow like that? Can I be my own light? Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the journey that I've been on now, the big turning point between By Yourself, The Lilies, which is um, about finding emotional regulation, essentially. Mm -hmm. This new book is about finding your soul, like finding your interior, which I think is actually a lot easier than you think and a lot of books on the subject just use very annoying language so i try to break it down try to make it funny you be the judge of if it's funny or not because i if if i knew that there was a stardust self i knew i could reach it i didn't exactly know how so i started to experiment with that but it to me even when i'm at today i woke up in a miserable mood everybody's out to get me, nobody's doing their job, why am I the only one, blah, 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 blah. And I had to hook onto, I'm made of stardust. That is so much bigger than like all these things, you know? Yeah. Well, you certainly have an infectious personality and it's fun to see, but it also reminds me of myself when I was going through the highs and lows of trying to balance having a successful career, but also being absolutely miserably depressed and having the anxiety and 
the big moment, the rock bottom was 25. When you call your therapist, you talk about suicide and you wake up to those voicemails and it scares you. How did you handle the layoff from Comedy Central and having that past experience of dealing with depression and anxiety to not fall back into that exact route again and take care of yourself? Well, I did fall back into that route. That's, and I've that's done the same exact of, thing. Yeah. And and to anyone who's listening, it, it it's a dance. You progress, you regress, you progress. It, it's it's always like this. Um, yeah. And so when I got laid off, that when I had freedom, space in my mind to think about anything other than what is my outlook calendar look like and how can I be max efficient? That was when these traumas, like being in the limo with my mom, all of the sudden, all of these things were bubbling up. Things, I mean, if I, basically I had decided at Comedy Central that I was gonna sit on a good enough plateau, like a modern Little Miss Muffet, just eating her curds and whey. I was gonna sit there because the job was actually awesome. Yeah. I was so much, I, all the emotional regulation made me such a better uh, person just generally. I had good enough relationships, good enough goals. I just decided good enough is so much safer than going forward. And when the layoff really rocked my world, I realized this good enough plateau is actually limiting me because it's not letting me move forward. I'm just... Mm -hmm sure i'm safe but am i really because right. these things are are actually still there so i didn't deal with it well is the answer and that's why i have a second book because i had to like figure it out <laughs> it's understandable and we all have those moments and that's why i'm curious if you'll agree with me on this where you can be at the top of your game and then fall and it feels like the world is ending and for some of us, including us two, you can be suicidal yeah. and think about life or death. But when you look back, like I was in a super toxic relationship and I was so upset about that ending. I didn't know what to do. I was suicidal. I had to check myself in a mental health hospital, as I said. But if I don't go through that low, I don't figure out how to do this podcast or how to move on and be happy. And we mentioned coping yeah. mechanisms before. For me, like a big thing is just listening to music. And mm -hmm. I, I try to not I try to not drink as much. I can't just quit drinking. I'll be completely honest. Like that's impossible for me. Yeah. But I can take like a month off and go and, and start working out more and that helps. Or I can take, you know, weekdays off and not drink. But like for me, when I was suicidal and depressed, and you mentioned drinking too, like that's such an easy vice that a lot of people struggle with finding something else like listening to music or I would go bowling by myself or something weird like that. What were some of the, like the coping yeah. mechanisms that were healthy for you that you discovered that helped you get through some of those days? Yeah, it's, it's funny you asked this question at this exact moment because on my Instagram, I just did it like a whole thing about coping mechanisms because about three weeks ago, I, I stopped kind of eating and I was like, that's weird. I'm just, I'm just bored with food. COVID made me bored. Then I was like, yeah. and I don't really want to see anybody. I, you know, I've got too much stuff to do. I just want to be alone. And I'm having trouble waking up in the morning. 
And I said it all out loud to a friend. And the moment I said it, I was like, oh my God, I'm depressed. I, I did, had no idea I was depressed until I said these things out loud right. um, and had dealt with this enough times um, with self-awareness, with compassion for myself that I, that I could see it for what it was and then spring into action. So yeah. first steps, um, just getting my life together, simple thing by simple thing, brushing my teeth, big win, making a plan, extraordinary win. And actually, because I am so loath to be with friends when I'm depressed, I just texted my best friend. I just started forcing plans. I just forced myself into yep. it, got a meal delivery service. So I actually don't have to think about the food will be here. I, I can't trick myself out of eating. Um, mm. And a big part of my practice is um, journaling. Journaling in, in my next book, it includes an emotion wheel because so many of us don't even know how we feel. And I had not been using my emotional wheel in those three weeks. Had I, I might have actually seen sad, exhausted, oh man, I am depressed. Because none of us are taught the language. We don't have the vocabulary. Right. So it's really hard to know what, know what you have, much less what you can do about it. Well, for me, like when I was in the mental hospital for two weeks, like I was learning things that everyone should learn while they're in sixth, seventh, eighth grade in high school. Yes. Like, I yes. don't, I, I mean, math's important, science is important, but in, include this stuff, like how to deal with trauma, how to deal with the co coping mechanisms. Like, there's just so many things that you're not taught and you have to figure out. So take me through the emotion wheel real quick. If, if that's okay, I think that's yeah. something oh, that sure. a lot of people haven't heard of. So take us through that because it's gotta be a useful tool for yourself. Yeah, I was first um, introduced to it by my therapist. And basically what it is, is um, it's a wheel kind of divided into little pie sections. Mm -hmm. And each, each piece of the pie has another piece of the pie has another piece of the pie. And it helps you discern how you actually feel. So our, so for example, one time I felt tears welling up. I was, I felt sad, but then I looked at the emotion wheel and realized, no, actually I'm joyful and grateful. These are tears of gratitude. I'm not sad and I don't need to go to that place. Instead, let me go thank the person who did this beautiful thing for me. Mm -hmm. Because if, it's basically the idea that if we label our emotions and, and see what they are, first off, there's a ton of science behind it. That alone, labeling alone, huge benefit for your mental health. Yeah. And then if you can take it a step further and see, oh, right now I'm feeling like today, if I had, if I had done the emotion wheel, which I should have, I would have found that I was angry and disappointed and with that information, I should not take any meetings. I should try to move all my meetings today because I'm going to be the world's worst. I just suck when I'm like, when I'm uh, contemptful and I'm like, you're not doing this and blah, 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 blah. So I know I have a, enough wisdom now to know how to deal and how to show up in the world when you, when I can label it. And so the emotion wheels, it's like sad, joy, I forget what the four are in the center, but then they come out from it. And the one yeah. in my book, 
I hope I used less annoying language. Like, like I always try to use way more accessible language and like right. jokes. Be, to talk be about conversational this stuff. and fun because it, it translates oh, yeah. when you're like that. Yeah. yeah and- plus, like, this is depressing. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, just, it's so, true. So if it, if it can be, you know, delivered in a, at least a little bit more joyful way, because um, there's a huge joyful thing underneath all of this is that mm-hmm. healing is possible. That's like what everyone should know is it is possible. It's not magic. It's hard work, learning and becoming self-aware, but there is joy under all of these negative emotions we feel. Absolutely. I could not agree more. Let me get uh, this question in before we get to some fun stuff from Comedy Central in your career. Sure. So I, I want to hear some stories and not this be all sure. emotional uh, baggage, but this is what the show's about. So that's okay. Yeah. Uh, what do you want readers to get out of, of this book? I mean, I know you talk about, you know, self-care and, and figuring out mental health and how to take care of yourself. But what is what I don't want you to give me the number one thing, but what do you want someone to read this yeah. and feel when they read those words and hear your story? Well, what I love about the metaphor of we are made of stardust is that it's also just real. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things, so it comes up a lot in the book. And one of the things I'd really like people to take away is that they already have glow within them. You already have something sacred and beautiful and from the friggin' universe in you, and, and we all agree that it's good and awesome and not bad and didn't finish its to-do list. So if I could uh, convince people with scientific facts that you are good inside, I think that would be a huge a game changer just for how people interact. Because when you feel like you are good and enough, you treat other people like they are good and enough. And it has a cascading effect, which is why self-care when done authentically, like not talking about a luxury vacation to Hawaii, that's nice, that's not self-care, you know, um, which is why self-care ends up being community care because each one of us is a part of our community and we need everybody to be strong, which brings me to the second thing. I want people to remember that they belong, like that we are all, all of us inside, same science. That we cannot deny that. Oh my God, we have so much in common. We're, you know, you're outside different than mine, but we share way more than we are different. And so I'd love people to take a sense of belonging, even when they feel alone, because you can always remember, Brandon, the stardust in you is the stardust in me. I can come back to a real connection. And, and that you have the power, the agency. I need to, I like, want to wake up everybody. There's, you're not helpless. This isn't too big to be done. This isn't going right. to ruin your life taking all this work. It's not going to take forever. And you must start now. The, what is the first step? Um, so I hope it's a very empowering, let me, I'm trying to light a fire. I'm trying to light Oh, you got me. It's, it's, I think the kids <laughs> say it's lit. Um, so this conversation <laughs> would be lit. <laughs> I, uh, God, that was so old of me, even though I'm, <laughs> I'm not that old, but I'm not hippie. You're younger know. than me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I know. Uh, I struggle with that too. You're, well, you're light, you're lighting a fire under my ass with this conversation and I'm excited for the book Great. to come out and the, the mission, you. the message is super empowering. It's doing exactly what you want it to. Uh, I want to get into some fun things. Like I said, 
You worked on Key and Peele and some other big time shows at Comedy Central. Give me, I don't know, one one of your favorite stories from from working on one of those shows. Hmm, favorite stories. Um, well, maybe. So when I was an intern uh, with John at the Daily Show with John Stewart, um, mm -hmm. we wait all the time for our lunch with John Stewart. It's like the highlight of the whole thing. Yeah. And somebody asked John, um, "How did like how'd you get your first big break?" And John, like, so matter-of-factly was like, there are no big breaks. There are just tiny breaks, and you have to work at each one of them. And I was, like, mind-blown, best piece of advice for the rest of my life. Right. Even today, sitting here in my office, why am I not further along than I am? Oh, wait, it's these tiny, tiny breaks I need to work on. And the other thing I would say is, so I was the executive in charge of Key and Peele, not an intern. <laughs> yeah, a little, yeah. little bit of a, little a different, different, like, view of a show so right. i ran that show on behalf of comedy central and one of the biggest lessons that i learned was keegan michael key who is just a fabulous human so mm -hmm. funny he knew everybody's name on set he treated everybody the same in this like totally gregarious way that he made people feel special and so at the network, whenever there was a conversation about if the show was on the bubble, like ratings, they ebb and they flow. And it was a really right. weird time in cable. It was streaming was coming in. So it was a very, very weird time. But there was never a question with them because they were just such delights and they had the goods. So they got so much more runway. Um, and I realized, right. oh man, always, always, always be kind. Yes, because you just should be, but two, because people will give you the benefit of the doubt and it's really nice to make other people feel good well that show was genius a lot of funny clips on youtube that i still watch to this day so thank you for playing a part in that and you're right about treating people genuinely i think 99 percent of people in sports or entertainment or music that are not at the top 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 are genuine and want to help you get there and yeah. but but yeah. If, you, if they're not you remember that and that sticks with you. Um, favorite yeah. celebrity story from working there? Any Anything that stands out of meeting somebody that you've always wanted to meet or anything she, yeah. crazy? Um, well, it's one that's like just very dear to my heart. Um, well, actually, okay, the fancy one would be at the Emmys when Keegan and Jordan won um, Best Sketch Show. They like gave me a, gave me a big shout out from the that's stage sick. you know that's awesome and that, i was like oh my it was in my heart because i just love that show like heart right. level love that show and it was so gratifying to just like feel affirmed for mm -hmm. that um but other fun another fun one that comes up is i'm obsessed with maya rudolph like yeah she's so hilarious from snl from everything so funny my boss knew I was obsessed with Maya Rudolph, but I never go introduce myself. So he kind of physically pushed me into her <laughs> and was like, like, Tara, Maya, you guys should meet. And I got to have, you know, a conversation with someone I really admired and would not have had the chutzpah otherwise to like talk to. That's incredible. I love stories like that. See, I'm the opposite where like, I don't get the story unless I go up to somebody. So I just walk right up to whoever it is. I don't really give a shit. Um, but good for it, you. 
Yeah, well, you know, you get some stage fright with certain celebrities or athletes, but once you've done it for a while, you kind of just yeah go for it. Um, what's next for you besides the book? I know you're you're big on mental health and you want to keep pushing that along. I followed you on Instagram, so I, I love seeing your posts oh, of self empowerment. Yeah, and so, so what's next for you? So I know that I love writing books. So for sure there will be another book, but hopefully not about trauma because right. I don't, I can't, I just can't write yeah. that again. Um, so hopefully about some other topic, but I'm trying to build like my weird cottage industry. You know, I have like through my newsletter, through Instagram, I mm -hmm. speak across the country. I just want to remind people of their self-worth. Like, that's the goal of everything I do is to wake up, shake your shoulders and say, no, 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 no. I know how bad you think you are. You yeah. are so worthy and I know it. Like if you can't trust yourself, trust me. And so I'm trying to figure out, you know, is that like an online community? Is that all these speaking things I'm doing? So mm -hmm. I'm in the, the throes of it, but I will say that the thing that gives me the most energy is my community. You know, it, now that you're um, on Instagram with me, you'll see like the people are all talking to each other in the comments. They right. like they end up meeting each other like real relationships are being formed. And I also teach workshops where that happens. Like oh, okay, truly, nice. they then go on big they go on vacations together, you know, that's and cool. and that's not it's not me. It's just setting the stage where that kind of community can happen. So. I kind of see all these little, these different silos and I'm trying to figure out, you know, what would be, what would be the most impactful? How can I do the most good? That's awesome. I, lo I love yeah. the mission. Like I said, multiple times, uh, if you see me on Instagram, normally I don't have this mustache. It's a Bengals <laughs> streak mustache. I look like I should okay. be on e either like not next to a school or in an adult film. So I normally, <laughs> I normally don't have it. It's the Bengals are undefeated since, and this will air after okay. the Super Bowl, I think. So hopefully I still have it because that means they won the Super Bowl. Yeah. I just want, I just wanted to clear that up. I should have started with that so I didn't creep you out for the last half hour. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, last thing I'll ask you, unless there's something you want to add, advice to a young person aspiring to get into – the entertainment business business that you've been in or that wants to be an author, what type of advice would you give them? Writers write. You have yeah. to write. You cannot say you want to write. You cannot dream of writing. You must write. You must write a lot. You must start writing today. And it's no um, silver bullet. Like there's no young writers. Um, I, I used to meet with writers all the time and even mm -hmm. still, you know, should I get an agent? Should I get a manager? I'm like, do you have a pilot script? Do you, do you have a few chapters of a novel? Cause if not, no, focus on the real thing, the writing, focus on living your life because that gives you details for the writing, focus on the actual thing and the process. And I have never seen it not work out that somebody who is like a decently kind human who did the work, improved their craft, didn't then, you know, something happen or they were right. in a position where they could send out a script, but, and don't wait for um, inspiration. Do, no, wait. They just right. say at 7 a.m. I have to wake up and write. I mean, I have been struck by inspiration like all of one time in my own <laughs> career. You, you know, you don't need inspiration. You need a habit. 
You, right. you need a time that you're showing up to your desk. Right. It needs to be a healthy addiction and good things happen to yes. good hardworking people. So I, I love that. It, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. And glow, glow in the effing dark comes out later this month. Tell everyone where they can get it. What's the exact date to yeah. this month? It comes out February 28th. You can pre-order it now or after February 28th, buy it in your local indie bookstore at Target, at Barnes and Noble, at Amazon. Mm -hmm. And on my newsletter, I do like supplements to the book and okay. new ideas that I'm having, which people can get to just by texting GLOW, G-L-O-W, to 66866 um, if, if any of this resonated. Awesome, Tara. I can't thank you enough for all your time. This was a great conversation. Best of luck with the new book. I'll be sure to dive into that thank when you. it comes out. And we will see everybody right back here next week on The Mental Game. And I can't thank Tara enough for opening up about all of her experience in life from Comedy Central to the tough struggles she had as a child with her parents. But as you can tell, she cares a lot about mental health and I really benefited from that conversation. I hope you did as well. Coming up next week, the final episode of season one of The Mental Game, and it is a mystery guest. So you have to come back and check in next week, next Tuesday, our final episode of season one right here on The Mental Game. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.